that's a growler. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Popcorn and Pickles. Today, we are going to have a very special episode of talking about movies that we've recently seen, several of them all in one episode, which we have never done before. So it's going to be a little bit different tonight. So we're basically going to be talking ad nauseum randomly about these movies, but going down in an order, right? Yes. Okay, let's do it. Yes. So... The first movie we would like to talk about is Baywatch. Baywatch. Good movie. Good movie. For those of you who do not know, based on a 90s television show that was moderately successful, I believe. I'm not sure how many seasons it ran here, but I believe it was on NBC starring David Hasselhoff that uh, turned into a movie starring The Rock and Zac Efron. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I laughed. Uh, I laughed so hard I cried a couple of times, and um, it was extremely entertaining. Very similar, or at least in the same vein, as 21 Jump Street with uh, Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. That's what I felt like. It kind of had that same spirit. What did you think? Yes, I absolutely loved it as well. I was so excited to watch this movie. I think we've talked about it before we had watched it, being excited about going to see it because we were talking about The Rock in one of our previous uh, episodes. But I was excited to see The Rock and I have a confession about the actor of Zac Efron. I have been in love with this kid since he first showed up in High School Musical. So good to know. Good to know. So I was really excited to see what he was going to do in this movie. But the truth comes out. Yes, the truth. Then now I know. But I was excited to see the two of them together combination. I I just knew it was going to be funny. And it was I really enjoyed this movie. Now, of course, we have to say that this is it is what it is. It's not going to be an in-depth movie. You're not going to have a huge story or, you know, plot. There's not a lot of. substance here it's just supposed to be a funny movie and i think that they did that really really well wow you just threw me for a loop because i was about to go on uh, uh, on and on about how this movie changed my life (laughs) and how i just look at my existence in such a different way anyway no no i it was it was a lot of fun very raunchy uh lots of eye candy we talked about the visuals we joked about the visuals but uh yeah, so um, basically, what, how, how would you describe it? Perfect body type for every body structure there is? I mean... <laughs> yes, and they even had one of the main characters have a mushy body type. <laughs> so that kind of cracked me up that one of the guys in the movie was not a bodybuilder. So, <laughs> so, so now let me, let me ask you this question, because I, I didn't know... Well, I, I guess growing up as a kid... Let me, let me give you a little bit of background. I idolized guys like Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so it was really cool to me where in the movie, The Rundown starring The Rock, there's a kind of a a passing of the torch cameo where you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger dressed up like the Terminator and he's in a bar and he bumps into The Rock. And so I've been around bodybuilding magazines. My, My dad was a bodybuilder when he was in the army. So I 
think that at one point I thought you could be too ribbed. And after seeing this movie, for sure, yeah, you can definitely be too ribbed. Because uh, while I thought The Rock looked, I mean, like the god on earth that he is, <laughs> Zach Efron, when he was doing this American Ninja Warrior showing off stuff, I thought, oh, his six-pack is like an 18-pack. Yes, that was a little over the top for sure. I would, I would agree with that. <laughs> so you've got uh, Zac Efron playing uh, a Ryan Lochte type character. And I thought he nailed it. What about you? What, what did you think? Oh, I loved his character. I, I thought he portrayed him very well. I mean, I really have no complaints about his performance or anything that he did there. And I really don't have any complaints about the story either. <laughs> like, you know, I don't feel that they could have done more than what they did in this film based on what it was supposed to be kind of what I said before, but what were your thoughts? Um, again, you know, I, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 because I enjoyed it that much. And I figured I would after seeing the, the trailers, what really struck me is, is why for whatever reason, this just did not attract audiences this summer. Yeah, that was disappointing. I would have given it a higher rating than what it was showing on Rotten Tomatoes. I really enjoyed it. But I think that perhaps people just go into these movies expecting, I mean, I don't know what they're expecting, but it's supposed to be a silly movie. So I think that they succeeded. And honestly, as someone who sometimes I don't really enjoy that kind of raunchy humor that much, I actually thought that everything in here was funny. Like it really was to me. I, I would agree. I would agree. Okay, so let's jump jump to the rating then, shall we? Unless there was anything else you wanted to talk about. Oh, I already gave mine. I'm sure you don't want to talk about the visuals more. Um, I'm going to (laughs) be honest with you. It's it's been it's been a minute since we've seen it, so I'm having a hard time remembering it. I I remember I remember some of the highlights, and then when you mentioned the the mushy character, I thought, oh yeah, but I couldn't even remember who played him. So John Bass. Okay. Oh, the other cool thing I wanted to say right before we wrap this up, it was really cool that they have um, David Hasselhoff thrown in here at the at parts uh, to kind of tie it all together with the whole Baywatch thing. So that was cool. That he was the uh, he was the Rock's mentor, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Or he where he would flash back and get this wise wisdom from from David. Yeah, the Hoff. Yes. So that was really neat that they kind of tied that all together. So, anyways, I would give this movie a solid nine and you said you would give it a 10 a 10 for sure uh i think it was definitely rated r wasn't it yeah oh yeah oh very rated r so this is in the realm of being an adult only movie as we said raunchy humor that's kind of what you can expect but if you go into it knowing that then we think you'll love this movie and i do think that there was some nudity we'll throw that out there um i I don't remember much of the context of it, but I think there was some. Well, it's Baywatch. So, I mean, <laughs> I would think that's expected. Okay. That's <laughs> You're fair. on a beach. So people are running around in near nothing for most of this movie. Let's move on. Our next movie that we really, really love to talk about is Wonder Woman. Good movie. I enjoyed it. Yes. Awesome movie. So we have to say this, or I, I feel like you have to say this, John, that you owe Wonder Woman, a big apology because Whoa. you said in this podcast that you thought, number one, it only did well because it was the first female driven superhero movie. And what was the second thing you said about it? That I was DC'd out? 
yes, that you were DC'd out. So everyone's waiting for your apology. Oh, well, thank you for giving me the, the thank you for giving me the floor to, uh, to eat some humble pie here. <laughs> Not to eat humble pie. Just, I just feel like you owe Wonder Woman an apology. Well, here, I, I feel like, I feel like I, I, I have, um, at least at the time I, I had some pretty worthy reasons for, for <laughs> questioning whether it was going to be that good or not. I mean, it was in, it was stuck in production hell forever. And so whenever things like that happen, you, you lose faith. Then on top of that, I mean, that's what happened with the Fantastic Four movie. You know, Fox rebooted the Fantastic Four movie with this young group of people and as a result of the drama that went on on the set, and I think one of the other reasons why was because the director at the time, he, uh, he kind of had a meltdown in his trailer because of all the pressure for not only this, but I think they were trying to look at him to do one of the Star Wars movies. But um, anyway, rumor got around that it, it had some production trouble, and I mean, the movie totally tanked, you know? And so... Again, this thing has been stuck in production. I, I remember hearing everybody from uh, Eva Longoria to Sandra Bullock being, you know, the vehicle for this. And so I feel like I, I have room to have been a little wary. Plus, on top of that, this is the thing that really drives me crazy. I love Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman has a special place in my heart. I grew up reading DC Comics. I can't say anything more about it. But when it comes to the press and the media, it drives me insane. And, and that's one of the reasons why when, when uh, one of our friends said, oh, I, it got a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. And I thought, well, I mean, when, when you've got this, you know, liberal elite media, <laughs> which is really what we've got, let's be honest, that's trying to push, you know, a feminist agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm going to call it what it is. I like it, but you know, whatever. Um, you're going to question the authenticity of some of these, some of these scores and some of these ratings, and so that's what I did. And I will tell you that I still find the score quite questionable because what what they give it a 95 or something like that on on Rotten Tomatoes, and it deserved 100. It was awesome. <laughs> it was that good. Uh, I actually think it was a little bit lower than that. I'd have to look it up to be sure. It may have dropped uh, a little bit, as you said. I mean, really, we loved everything about this movie. The story was great. I loved that it was more of an origin movie, having you know seen the Batman versus Superman. We know, obviously, that Wonder Woman shows up. So this is kind of the background. But, I mean, visually, it was stunning. I loved seeing the original scenes where you see where she's growing up. You see that she's in society with, you know, all other women growing up and just seeing kind of her childhood and what she wanted. And I mean, all that was just amazing. They really spent the time. No part of this movie felt like it was rushed and yet you still felt like you were going somewhere. So I just felt like the pacing of everything was great. The visuals were amazing. It was the perfect balance between, you know, having something that was funny and humorous to then being serious to, you know, then being a fighting scene and action this movie just had all wheels spinning the way that they were supposed to. And then to top it off, you know, kind of jumping into the characters, you've got Gal Gadot. And I don't know, I I don't recognize her from anything. Obviously, I recognize her now from Wonder Woman, but she was amazing. I mean, so perfect, I thought, for this role. I just was 
was blown away by her performance overall. And then it was only complimented by Chris Pine and what he did as, as Steve. Oh, I, I agree. One of the things that I really liked about this was that they stuck so close to the mythology of the character because you've got the Amazons, which were these women that were created by Zeus to protect mankind. And so what I thought was really cool was, like you said, seeing this all-female society. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Diana is the only child on the mascara, right? Yes, yes. So she is not just the daughter of Hippolyta. She's, I mean, she's the daughter of the island. Correct. And so that's one of the things that I think is really cool about it. Now, they did change one of the things from the original mythos because in the original mythos, it was Hippolyta that formed her from clay and Aphrodite is the one who gave her life. And so they changed it for the movie and they probably did that, you know, because all those conservatives out there would be mad if uh, if they didn't involve a father. I don't know. Just throwing that out there to try to balance out my feminism comment earlier. <laughs> One, and I mentioned this before, but Gal did such an amazing job between her fighting scenes. And didn't we say that she was pregnant during some of these filmings? Yes, yes. And um, she was pregnant. She was five months pregnant. And uh, I read that they took a uh, like a green cloth, like they would a, a green screen, mm -hmm. draped that over her pregnant stomach and then took it out in post-production. Yeah, so that's, that's amazing. But the scenes that stand out to me beyond the, the fighting scenes were just the lines that she had for comedic effect were just so amazing. I love the banter often between her and uh, S Steve's character, Chris Pine. You know, they were just, it was so funny just going through World War One era through new eyes with her as she has never been around men or mankind before. And so some of those things were just hilarious to me. I thought it was interesting that, you know, you bring up the, the time period being World War One that they chose World War One because, again, going back to the original uh, mythos of the character, Wonder Woman was introduced during World War Two in the fight with the Nazi. And so it was interesting to see that the director and the writers made that decision because as they were studying the philosophy of the story and why Ares was doing what he was doing, you know, really creating his motivation, they said that World War I was the first war where really it was not only the whole world in a gigantic mess as they showed in the, in the movie, but it was the first mechanized war. And so you have mankind that is on the edge of all of these discoveries and they're taking what they're learning and they're using it to impose their ideas and their wills on other free-willed individuals and that's why Aries says you see humankind does not deserve to be saved <laughs> so so it was interesting that they chose that that time period and when you talk about that, that also kind of goes back to, again, a lot of the same themes we've talked about in previous superhero movies, or really anywhere where you have the whole good versus evil. I mean, is it really ever that simple? Because as they're discussing these themes, you can really see where Ares' logic comes from and why he thinks that, you know, I mean, he does 
kind of makes sense when he's trying to talk Wonder Woman into joining him. You can see where that comes from. So anyways, it's just interesting. And I love that these movies are, once again, diving more into that realm. It's not just black and white, good versus bad. There's a lot of uh, depth and reasoning behind these quote unquote bad guys. Thank you for bringing that up because it made me really think a little bit more and deeper about what was happening in the climatic scene of the movie when we've got Diana never once mentioned as Wonder Woman in the movie, (laughs) interestingly, but you have Diana fighting Ares. And not only do you have Ares, you know, doing the normal villain monologuing as the Incredibles love to make fun of, but I saw things a little bit differently and almost, I like to call it an alternative perspective or maybe even alternative reality perspective, because when I was watching it, there were a couple of things that stood out in my mind. The first was, here you have, again, in this story, you have Diana being sculpted from clay by Hippolyta, given life by Zeus. Zeus's life or his power is lightning. And so when you're creating life or giving Diana life and and Zeus is her father, well, she's not really a demigod. That makes her a god or a goddess. And so I found that incredibly interesting, especially with the word that they they call her later. Should I I'll, I'll say they refer to her as to something at the mascara called the god killer. Is it okay if I talk about it? So, spoiler alert, it's not the sword. It's Diana. And so my question, first of all, I mean, and, and, and I don't want to go too far into left field with this, but one, how does a god die? Hmm, can a god die? What's the whole point of immortality? <laughs> Number two, uh, I thought that it was interesting because as you watch the visuals, as it is explaining the war between Ares and the gods of Mount Olympus, you see Ares take his father's power which is lightning. And later, when he's fighting, you see a couple of different interesting visuals. One, you see them completely surrounded by fire, indicating the underworld or Hades, which I thought was interesting. You also see Ares change costumes or looks throughout the final scene. Mask, no mask, using different powers. And in the end, as he's getting ready to hit Diana with everything he has. If you go back, and I've seen it twice, you see the lightning charging in his hands as he's about to use Zeus's power to test Diana to see if Diana really can withstand God's power, or Zeus's power. And he has this look of hesitation, almost like maybe he was channeling Zeus. I don't know. But then, It comes, and then as she absorbs that lightning, you see everything around her as she quits fighting like a warrior or as a mortal, and she starts fighting with her mind, and everything around her just starts exploding and blowing away into oblivion as it would with a god. I thought that was so wicked. Well, it does bring up some interesting questions about, you know, gods, and I mean, can they die, really? But anyways... Um, so they go to sleep, I say. <laughs> where I mean, if if she was completely destroyed, I mean, what are they going to do in the next movie? I mean, I don't know. So I guess we'll find out. Tonight, I actually read that the director—I can't remember her name off the top of my head, 
but I read that the director was in the final negotiations of directing the sequel. Which I will be excited to see. One other thing I did want to mention about this movie that I noticed while watching the movie and have since you know looked into it a little bit more was the musical theming that they did for Wonder Woman. So from what I've read, they wanted to try to incorporate one of the older Wonder Woman musical themes, but they were unable to. And so they really ended up kind of just scrapping it and going with this new musical theme, which seemed familiar to me, but I realized now that it was only familiar because I have seen it in the obviously Batman Superman movie. That's where it first came out. You kind of hear the theme. There you go. Nice. (laughs) I just think it's so cool. And for anyone who has studied music, you know, when I say musical themes, that usually a theme is usually just a couple of measures that you'll hear. And people who are really great composers will have themes for all of their characters. So Harry Potter is an amazing example of this because each of the characters kind of have their own little musical theme. And if you pay attention when you're watching the movie, when that specific character is doing something or they're having a scene that's about them, you will hear their musical theme almost in the background if you're listening for it, but you don't notice it unless you're kind of paying attention for that. But in this movie, it's so amazing because most of the score is an orchestra playing the music as is for most big movies. And then anytime her theme shows up, it's this electric guitar, you know, just kind of jamming out on this, um, on her musical theme, which is really only a couple bars. I just love what they did with the music of it. And you go back and listen to, to the score. Um, I just think they did a really great job orchestrating all of that. Yeah, as far as Chris Pine, I really, really like him. I love him in the Star Trek movies. And I think it's interesting that as you look around, he's been given so many movies. I mean, he's been in a movie. He was in some movie about a train or runaway train or something like that with Denzel Washington. They they tried to reboot him as the uh, the new Jack Ryan and Jack Ryan shadow agent or shadow, something like that. I don't remember. But they've really given him opportunities and for whatever reason this those movies just haven't hit with audiences but i thought he was fantastic in this movie and i really enjoyed their team as well what did you think about their team yes that was one of the other things i was going to mention is i don't feel that any of the characters were misplaced or that there was anyone who did a poor job but i did enjoy the whole uh I always I always call it the Ocean's Eleven because that's where I kind of have the most. But I'm sure other movies do it, too, where they gather the team, you know, (laughs) um, not that they had really one of those moments, but it was cool just, you know, spending time with the characters and and seeing that. So I I thought they were great and they all had funny parts and then serious parts as well. So I just thought the mix of everything was great. And and I love Chris Pine, too, but probably for totally different reasons. (laughs) Um, All right. I really enjoyed the team. I thought Shamir was was fantastic. They didn't give him a lot of background, but the fact that he was an actor and he couldn't be an actor, so he found a way to still play roles and get paid for it in his life, I thought was really kind of cool. Um, I enjoyed Charlie's character as well. He was a fun drunk. But the guy I, I that really stuck out to me was Chief. When Chief and Diana met for the first time, Chief said something, and I didn't know what he had said. And so the second time I went, I tuned into what he said, and I heard him say Navi. And so I thought, hmm, this is kind of interesting, because Navi is a name that I had come across in some of my reading. And uh, sure enough, 
he actually introduces himself in the movie as Navi. And not only was he confirmed by the, the filmmakers as Navi, but they've also confirmed what I thought, and that Navi is an Indian god, a Native American god, I should say. And I think that's really cool because Navi is actually what they refer to in the Native American culture as a Hayoka. In the Hindu, it's called a Bodhisattva, but this is a guy who can change. He's a shapeshifter, a trickster, kind of like Maui from, from Moana, and he can change, obviously, his appearance, but he also has the ability to appear as multiple people, even thousands of people at a time. So I thought that was really cool that he was introduced into this. And so I'm really interested where they're going to take Chief's character. Yes, I am as well. Or if he's even included, because it seems like Diana Prince, you know, at the very end of the movie, it puts her back into, I would say, our time frame or current time frame, where it seems like that's where they're moving forward with it. And we did get to see a preview of, what are they calling the movie that's with all the DC characters? Justice League. Yes, we did see. And so it seems like, um, obviously, we'll see Diana Prince again, but also her uh, mother will be in this movie, it seems like, from the preview. Oh, did you see her in the preview? Mm-hmm, remember? Oh, okay. I didn't realize she was in the preview. I think so. Connie Nielsen. She's the one who played Hippolyta. Here's one question I have to ask before we go and we talk about the next movie. When it comes to Wonder Woman and her power, at the end of this movie, which, correct me if I'm wrong, it is a prequel to Batman versus Superman. So... In Batman versus Superman, if before all of this she had already defeated Ares, how come Diana doesn't bust out her god powers when they're fighting Doomsday? Like, wouldn't that have just gone a little bit faster? Because we've now established this woman is a goddess with the power to destroy lots of stuff at once. (laughs) You would think that she probably would have just gone straight for that. <laughs> I have to watch it again. I was kind of curious about that as well. Like, I really want to see the Batman versus Superman, just those scenes with her only. <laughs> I would love to watch them again. So maybe we'll have to do that and, and revisit that. But you know, it's a movie. They got to have everyone fighting. I, it was the best movie I've seen this year. I, I mean, that's just what I thought. I thought it was awesome. 10 out of 10. Yes. As far as rating goes, I would also give this a 10. I would say really is great for everybody and most everyone. I don't know that little kids are going to get a lot out of this because there's really not a whole lot for them, but it would, I would put it in the category of being a family friendly film. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So we gave it a 10. We absolutely love this movie. I, I for one cannot wait to watch it again at home. I think John, you've already watched it twice. I've seen it twice. I thought it was fantastic. I'll watch it again. (laughs) So we look forward to watching that at home. Uh, moving on, the next movie, kind of to lighten things up, we're going to talk about Captain Underpants. Captain Underpants. We went to see that today. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch the end of it. I uh, I was watching our one-year-old doing laps in the theater hallway. That was fun, though. Uh, you know, but uh, let's talk about the movie. Yes. So anyone who wants to take their kids to the movies, one of the keys, which we failed to do today, is mm-hmm. to get there. As the movie is starting, so there's usually about 15 minutes worth of previews before the movie, and you really want to be arriving at the theater at the actual movie start time, so you miss all the previews, because little kids have a hard time sitting for more than an hour, and so 
those last 20 minutes or so after adding on the additional 15 minutes, they just don't tend to last very long. So if you can time it just right to be walking into the theater as the actual movie's starting, you have better chances. So we didn't do that, so we failed, which is why John missed the last uh, 10, 15 minutes or so of this movie. Captain Underpants, it was just kind of a fun movie. What I did not like about this film was that I felt that although it was supposed to be a kid movie or a family movie, it really seemed to only capture the attention of probably a certain age range. And I would say that's probably from, I want to say maybe second or third grade until about eighth grade, maybe it would probably be the age range that I would put that would really enjoy this film to the fullest because the visuals were not stimulating enough for the little kids to really invest into it. Our little kids. Correct. Versus a movie like Inside Out, while the themes on that movie are obviously extremely advanced for any child and for most adults. <laughs> um, the visuals on that are so bright and so fun that little kids like to watch it anyways, because it's just there. This movie doesn't really have that going for it. And, and then the actual storyline and the themes and even the main, you know, Captain Underpants character for a little kid is confusing because you don't really know what he's supposed to be. And I think it's almost too complicated to have one character playing two things as this guy was, I just felt like that was a little bit too advanced. And then there wasn't enough adult humor in there for me to really enjoy it. And so I really felt that it was only targeted at kids who could understand what was going on. What did you think? Definitely had, a, had its target audience. And, and I think that our kids were definitely under that. It was the only movie that we hadn't seen playing at the theater for kids. So, you know. We went. This I'm, I'm just going to say this. DreamWorks animation, for whatever reason, just doesn't do it for me. I, I can do the first Shrek movie, but most DreamWorks animation I find completely overstimulating. And I, I closed my eyes several times during this movie because it has, a, obviously, a certain animation style, which... It reminded me a little bit of Peanuts. Mm -hmm, yes. And I was on board with that, but I was not familiar with who Captain Underpants was going into this. I guess he's a kid's story, but I get that one and Diary of a Wimpy Kid mixed up. I know our, our, we, our older boys have some of these books, but I've never myself read them. So I had no idea what was going on and it was okay, but I feel like it was a concept that could have been turned into shorts, like 22-minute TV shows versus trying to stretch a feature film out of it. I mean, because even with, with Kevin Hart and Ed Helms doing these characters, it wasn't enough to keep my interest because by the middle of the third act, I gladly took our one-year-old out into the hallway and watched him walk around. When you compare this to the other DreamWorks film that we have seen this summer, which is, you know, The Boss Baby. I felt like this was definitely not as entertaining as that was. That was DreamWorks? Yes. Is it? Okay. I, I couldn't, I, for some reason, I thought it was 20th Century Fox. No big deal. Maybe it was because The Boss Baby had a baby that I just liked it more <laughs> than I liked Captain Underpants. And I stand corrected. I did enjoy The Boss Baby. That was a lot of fun to watch. I would say that... 
if you have no other option of kid movies to watch that and you're looking for something else to watch, you could probably watch this movie, but I would not go out of your way to watch this movie. If it happens to come upon you, then that's one thing, but I don't anticipate seeing this movie a second time. I went into this thinking, I can handle this. It's DreamWorks, I know, but I, I can do this, and I didn't make it. I, uh, I tapped out. So I'm going to give it a three. I'm going to give it a three. I'm going to give it a four, slightly above that, just because I did enjoy the actors who did the voices. I appreciated some of the comedy there. They, I felt like they did a great job performing the content they were given. Oh, yeah. As far as performance, uh, I'm going to give Kevin Hart a 10. I, I mean, I, I love Kevin Hart. I give him a 10. And Ed Helms, 10. And Thomas Middleditch, I think is how, how they say his name. He's the guy in the Verizon commercials, and he's the, uh, the star of the, the HBO comedy series Silicon Valley. He did the, the voice of the other kid that wasn't Kevin Hart. And, and they, did, they did a good job. I, I enjoyed. Probably this is where the three, this is where they get the three stars for me. I thoroughly enjoyed seeing a very realistic portrayal of what school is for children. <laughs> or at least how it is in their mind. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the overreaching authority of the, uh, of the principal. What principal out there doesn't do that? I mean, he reminded me of judges that sit on benches high above other people that think that they roll over us. But anyway, <laughs> so... So yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. What I felt was its realistic portrayal of school for kids. One of the the visuals that I really enjoyed was when the two boys were being split up by the principal, and they said that was the end of their friendship. Now, Letty, you didn't catch this because you actually stepped out, but I thought it was really cool because in their minds it showed them imagining, and it showed each of them on top of what appeared to be a planet or their own world. And they were next to each other and their worlds were combined. And then they shot off into different parts of the universe. And I thought, oh, wow. That's how I felt when, because I was often moved as a kid because I finished my work early and would talk to the people around me. So I was friends with them and they would move me. So maybe I have too much childhood trauma to have enjoyed this movie. <laughs> so anyways. Moving on, we think we gave it our rating. You can go see it if you want to. The next movie I wanted to talk about is been out for a little while now, Ant-Man. I forgot about that one. <laughs> so I finally got around to watching this just semi-recently. And I wanted to watch it because I had also semi-recently finally seen Captain America Civil War. And that's where we see Ant-Man. And of course, prior to this, his movie came out. And so I was like, oh, now, now that I know it's... Paul Rudd playing Ant-Man. I guess I didn't realize that that's who it was, but I love him. I just think he's funny. I just like him as an actor. And so I was excited to go and watch the movie. I agree. He's, he's one of those guys who's just so relatable. And he seems like one of those guys that would help you move on a weekend if you asked him. Yes. John likes to say that about a lot of actors, so I feel like he's got a... Oh, no, no, not a lot. Just a few. I feel like you have like 10 actors that you could probably call. (laughs) Jimmy Kimmel would help. (laughs) Jimmy, Jimmy's a cool dude. Uh, Let's see here. Okay, we don't have to go through the list. It's fine. (laughs) You'll know. He'll say it again. But yes. So I love Paul Rudd. I wanted to see him in this movie. And 
the other reason I wanted to see this was because I heard that this was filmed completely in Georgia. It was. And so I was excited just to, for that reason, you know, since we live in Georgia, I wanted to kind of see what they did uh, and see if I noticed anything visually on the backgrounds or whatever. What I ended up walking away from this movie, and I love the movie. It wasn't like the best movie ever. It's definitely not in the same, you know, realm as Wonder Woman, which we just talked about. But it was funny and it was light. And I think I was able to appreciate all of those things. And being as it was kind of a, a movie that was setting up future movies to kind of give us who Ant-Man was and how he came to be. It was an origin movie. I really liked what they did. And I like overall that Ant-Man is not too serious. You know, if you, I mean, compare him to freaking Batman. That guy just takes himself way too seriously. Every movie that ever has ever been done with the exception of the Lego Batman movie, which by the way, if you have not seen is hilarious. Go see it. I think that you can see it at home now, but the Lego Batman movie was great. I mean, Batman just takes himself so seriously. So when you have Ant-Man in comparison, I mean, granted, he's an ant. So obviously he can't take himself too seriously because he's minuscule. So, (laughs) but just the way that they did it and everything, I really, really appreciated that. Now, I don't know, and John, maybe you do. What is the history with Ant-Man? Does he actually have like a comic book and all these things? Do they just make him up? Oh, no, no. He's, yeah, he's a real dude. Very similar to Iron Man in that he was, he wasn't one of the main dudes. He was not one of these guys where you, you know, went out and grabbed their comic book. They were really kind of second tier superheroes. Okay. Well, that explains why I've never, <laughs> never heard of him before. I really thought that they're just kind of making it up when I first heard of Ant-Man when the original came out. So the boys, our boys have seen it. They saw it when it first came out, and I know they really enjoyed it as well. David dressed up as Ant-Man for Halloween. Yes, he, he did. And made, uh, made, made a helmet. So one of the scenes that I thoroughly enjoyed is towards the end when you have the Ant-Man fighting the villain, which is the Yellow Jacket, and they're both small at the time, but the scene goes from seeing things in their realm, and they're fighting in a child's bedroom. <laughs> so they're on this train, a toy train, going round and round. But of course, the train looks normal size to them. It's huge. And then it goes and it just shows you a clip of what's actually happening in real life, you know. So they're throwing these massive trains at each other, and it's like boom, crash, and like loud noises. And then it shows in reality what's happening as the train just falls off the table, like boop. There it goes. And so it just cracked me up. I mean, it was obviously, I thought it was hilarious. Hands down, one of the funniest fight scenes I've ever seen. Things like that just made me really enjoy this movie. I agree. I agree. I would give Ant-Man, I'm going to give it a solid eight. I enjoyed it. Ant-Man, I did enjoy it, like I said, but I don't know. I just felt like mm, eight's kind of high. I would, I'm going to say seven for me personally, but you should see this movie if you haven't seen it yet. Ant-Man was good. And especially leading up to the other Marvel movies that we're about to embark on, I feel like it really helps kind of bring it all together. And apparently a sequel is already in the works called Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. So I'm excited to see that. I want to see more Paul Rudd. Hopefully they don't change any of the other characters. That's one thing that I really can't stand since we're talking about sequels and prequels. And I just want, if they cast somebody as that character, then that person needs to be that character forever until he dies. I mean, why can't they all be like, wouldn't James Bond like, always James Bond and he's freaking old and he's still James Bond? 
Sometimes, but then they would retire. But then every now and again, they would come back for Haiti, like Sean Connery retired as James Bond and then came back for Never Say Never Again after Roger Moore had been James Bond for a while. So it happens. I I feel you. And, you know, they've done a pretty good job in the Marvel universe. And it's interesting to me because I wonder if a lot of the, the role changing that we've seen in the DC universe up until now with this whole reboot of the Justice League and reboot of Superman and everything. Um, I wonder if they were trying to avoid having somebody at the center of all of it as they do Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. Because Robert Downey Jr. is getting $60 million a movie plus you know, a percentage of the gross. And I think the next highest paid person was making like $6 million. <laughs> and so... But but he kind of is the center, and I really think that that might have been one of the things that they were trying to keep in mind. They didn't want, you know, Warner Brothers is trying to keep someone from getting too big for their riches. Yeah, well, I guess. But at the same time, people are seeing the movie partially because they love the actor and what they're doing with the character. And, I mean, Iron Man is irreplaceable. Wouldn't you agree? It's not like they can just get somebody else to play him at this point. Oh, with Tony Stark being played by Robert Downey Jr. I mean, you can't imagine anyone ever doing that role again. And so, you know, if something ever were to happen to him, they would have to recreate him digitally because I'm not watching another one without him. <laughs> um, going back to Ant-Man, though, you do see, of course, some of the other Avenger characters. And I just have to say, because I'm looking at his picture right now, I love Chris Evans. Like, I just feel like he does such an amazing job <laughs> from, from everything, all the Captain America. I always love any appearance that he makes as Captain America in this series. He is pretty funny. He's good. Funny, serious, handsome. I mean, you know, he's Captain America. He's all American. He's Everybody so loves him. I just, he's hot. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> okay. So that's Ant-Man. Um, we gave it our ratings, seven and eight. Good for everyone. Family film. Go see it. Okay. Uh, let's move on. We're going back to the year 1992 with... My Cousin Vinny. Yes. John has been trying to get me to watch this movie for months. Not that he's like been twisting my arm or anything. We just haven't gotten around to it. It's been on our list of movies that he wanted me to watch because I've never seen it before. So we're finally able to see this again recently. And I thought it was... So great. I would agree. I loved that we had Joe Pesci in this movie because when I was a kid, I was all, I've always been around movies, but I don't know if I ever talked about this before, but my father owned a video store back in the day. So I saw a lot of these movies, and I think that's one of the reasons why I went to film school. And I remember seeing Joe Pesci in all these mob movies. And so I thought it was really cool that he, he kind of switched it up with my cousin Vinny, not to mention that, you know, he was one of the sticky bandits in home alone. Yes. That's where I knew him from. I kept looking at him thinking, I know this guy. He's so familiar to me other than being a mobster. There was something else. And you finally mentioned the home alone. I was like, yes, that's where it is. I'd say that I love him. I, I love everything apparently on this episode, on this podcast. So I apologize, but, <laughs> but I really do love this guy. He's so, funny and just i feel like i could listen to him talk about whatever just because of his accent and so it's f so fun to me to hear that what do you call it what kind of accent is that italian 
Yeah, there you go. Italian. Yeah, New Jersey accent. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's like, it's kind of regional. So I just love listening to him. And, you know, to go along with that, you know, we have to roll into it and of course talk about Marissa. Marissa Tomei. Tomei, yes. So we just talked about her recently because obviously she's now the new Aunt May, right? In the Spider-Man series. That's right. So it was really neat seeing a film that kind of, did this give her her big break? Was this a big thing or was she pretty popular before this movie? Well, it kind of tanked her career, honestly. Really? She won a, an Oscar for it. She won Best Supporting Actress in 1993 for it. Um, she didn't do a whole lot after that. So was this the Oscar curse, you know, where you win and oh, then people don't want you to do anything? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she did. I, I remember she did a movie with Robert Downey Jr. called Only Me. Did you ever see that movie? No. Close my eyes. I just flashed back to the poster. It had them. She was in a wedding dress. Robert Downey Jr. was in it. I, I remember it from my video store days. So this was prior to My Cousin Vinny? Ooh, it may have been after. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But great movie, My Cousin Vinny. I love Fred Gwynn, who plays the judge. And I grew up loving this guy portraying Herman Munster on the Munsters. I grew up watching that in syndication every afternoon when I was in kindergarten. And so I really, really liked him. Then throw in the fact that you've got Vinny, who's defending his cousin, Billy. Billy, right? Was that his name? Yes. Played by Ralph Macchio. Mr. Karate Kid, you know, that was great to see him as well. You know, and then you had Bruce McGill playing the sheriff and remind me the name of the, uh, the prosecuting attorney. Lane Smith. Lane Smith. That dude is good. I mean, you've got some really good actors. You've got a movie that I didn't know about until I started reading about this. Apparently, judges and legal teachers all over the United States love this movie for what it teaches as far as different procedures, courtroom procedures and things like that. If you go and you, you research this, this movie is used a lot in law school. Interesting. It does seem like it would be a good teaching tool because, you know, obviously Vinny in the movie is learning how to be in court. Right. <laughs> Even though he, he lies about who he is several times, he's actually taking on his first court case. I thought this movie was just fun. It was humorous. It's supposed to be a, a comedy, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. One of the things I, I really liked about it was that it blended very well. The fish out of water where, where you've got two people from New York slash New Jersey coming in and they're supposed to be in a, well, it's in Alabama. I don't remember, but it's a fictional place. And the sticks of Alabama, the sticks of Alabama. And the whole thing was shot in Jasper County, Monticello, Georgia. And so I thought that that was kind of funny because as I was seeing the film recently change by scene, I kept saying to Letty, it still looks like that. Oh my gosh. I feel like I've, I've seen this place. And there was a time where I used to travel all over and went through Jasper County all the time. And so, yeah, very familiar. <laughs> so that was fun to see that movie. Um, what rating would you give it? You know, when I saw it, I saw it in the theaters uh, and I absolutely loved it. I went to see it with my dad. And I mean, at the time, I probably would have given an eight or a nine. I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I did the first time I saw it. But I'm going to still stick with an eight. Okay. I was going to say seven, but I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. The last movie we're going to talk about briefly, very briefly, just because I want to kind of rant about this. Bad Moms. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> yes. I want to talk about Bad Moms. 
this movie, I don't even remember how we ended up watching it, but it wasn't a movie that we were anticipating on watching. It just kind of came to be. I actually was going through the movie channels and looking for movies that we hadn't seen that might be funny. And I actually thought, oh, this would be good. And I really like Mila Kunis. And so I thought, let's get it. Yes. I really like her as well. I'm going to say like, uh, <laughs> try to say like, I also really like Kristen Bell. I just think she is, you know, beyond being Princess Anna, who is, of course, our favorite princess since we named our daughter after her. Just kidding. We didn't. Just as coincidence. But love Kristen Bell. Love Mil- Mila Kunis. I cannot say her name. So that's why I was willing to watch this movie. But I thought, eh. Just by looking at the cover, it's going to be one of these movies that's kind of ridiculously silly, you know, not a whole lot of substance in this movie. And it kind of is. So please don't watch this and think it's going to be anything else but that. But what I really liked about this movie was the absolute truce that it has about motherhood and being a mom. And it's called Bad Moms. And not that these, you know, moms are bad, but it's just trying to do everything. And I just felt like after I watched this movie, and this is after I say this, I'll get off my soapbox. But I felt that every mother should sit down and take the time to watch this movie and hopefully walk away from this movie and think, I don't have to do everything. I don't have to be perfect. Because I feel that as women, and especially as moms, we too often feel that we do. We have to do everything. We have to be perfect. The cookies have to be made from scratch. We have to be at every, you know, I don't even have PTA meetings, but I'm assuming if your kid was in school, then you'd feel the obligation to to do these things. And then not to mention anything, you know, extracurricular or religious that your family chooses to do. It's just, it's overwhelming. I mean, it really is. And not just for moms, I'm sure for dads too. John can probably attest to this, but you know, if we can simplify our lives and focus on what's important in their our lives. I mean, who cares that our kids don't get a bath every day or, you know, they didn't do this or didn't do that. I mean, what's important is spending time with each other and and I just felt like this movie really really did a great job of showing that. And yeah, it was it was silly and sometimes inappropriate and, you know, whatever, but I felt like the underlying theme and what they were trying to say I just appreciated that. And, and it was funny. And I thought the, all the actresses did a great job in this movie. I always have to pat myself on the back when we talk about Mila Kunis, because when she first showed up on that 70s show, I picked her to be the breakout star of, of the show. And funny that she's married to Ashton Kutcher and, and he kind of, you know, had his, his way with Hollywood for a little while and is kind of semi-retired, it seems. Yeah, I, I laughed when I found out about that. I was like, oh, I didn't realize they actually got married to each other. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I think they've got a couple kids now. But um, but yeah, I always smile whenever I see her because I think, yep, I picked her to go the farthest. And she's had the longest staying power. Yes. As I said, she did great in this movie. Kristen Bell, she was great to see as well. It was funny seeing her in a kind of mousy role versus what she normally plays. I would agree. And, and so it was neat to watch her play against type because she's normally, well, I shouldn't say normally, but I've often seen her as the character she portrays on The Good Place, you know, kind of this into herself, I don't care about anybody else, and I'm better than everyone else kind of type person. Mm-hmm. Which is also hilarious because it's totally opposite from 
Princess Anna, you know, as she voices for Frozen. I also really like Catherine Hahn. I feel like she's a very talented actress who often just does not get credit for some of the things that she does. Um, but she plays bad and raunchy really, really well. So it was fun to see her in that role. Not surprising, but fun. And then the only other person I wanted to mention was Jay Hernandez, just because he was absolute eye candy, of course, in this movie. Well, I mean, I even said, you know, it's not fair. We got to sit here and look at Jay Hernandez. It's not fair. But I really like the dude because I, I've actually watched several of his movies. I thought it was funny. He showed up in the Suicide Squad with a skull face tattooed on his face. So you really didn't even know that it was him. But he was in a movie that I really enjoyed. Well, I shouldn't say enjoyed. I related to in high school called Crazy Beautiful, starring him and Kirsten Dunst. But yeah, Jay was good in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, so unrealistic, though. I mean, of course, the one single dad is not going to be the most handsome guy and totally, you know, in shape and, of course, perfectly available. That never happens. Well, what what I thought was funny was that here you have this incredibly good-looking guy who's seemingly the greatest dad, and no woman wants him. <laughs> How would you rate this movie? It was good. I'm going to give it a seven. I would give it a seven as well. Again, I feel like every mom should watch this, but it is rated R, so if you're sensitive to stuff like that, then fair warning, it's not a family movie. I would say this is a great girls' night out movie if you don't mind a little bit of the inappropriate, I like to say inappropriate, like in quotes, it depends on your standard of what you think is correct or not. But anyways, it's a fun movie. I don't know, John, what did you think as a dad or as a male? Did you find this movie less enjoyable or you, could you relate to it all? Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I was really enjoying I'm into raunchy comedy, so I like that stuff. I think it's hilarious when you've got women like Kristen Bell and, uh, Mila Kunis cussing up a storm. I find that hilarious. But it wasn't really, I mean, I hate to say the word raunchy because that's not really the right word for it because I wasn't, most of it wasn't sexual. Yeah, that one's sex jokes. But I mean, well, I guess I say raunchy just because there's a, I like to use the term hard language. There you go. There's a lot of hard language in this movie, but that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah, I thought it was good. And, you know, I, I really appreciated your rant. Thanks for sharing that with everyone. For me, I don't feel the same kind of pressure. I don't care. <laughs> I couldn't care less about PTA m- meetings or soccer games. I really, really hate kids' sports. Like, I don't think children under 16 should play sports. That's just me. Life Lessons from John. That will be a different podcast. Different Life podcast, Lessons from John. <laughs> that pretty much wraps it up for our tonight. Anything else you want to throw in there? I just want to highly recommend it. And I know that, you know, there are some in our listening audience that don't generally watch our rated movies. If you're a mom, try it. I promise it will not be the first time you've heard or seen any of these things. It's worth it. It is hilarious. Enjoy a great laugh. Oh, yes, there is one last thing I want to share. The Magical Mystery Tour album I listened to today by the Beatles, 1967. Amazing. Wow. I've heard many of the tracks, but never listened to it as an album as a whole. So I want to throw that out there. If you have a chance to listen to that, it is phenomenal. Thanks for sharing. Side note for all the musical people out there. And, and I need to thank Eric Palfreyman for that. Thanks, Eric. And his Beatles influence on me. 
I'd like to give a shout out to Johnny, who uh, is probably one of our one and only listeners. <laughs> so if you're out there and you're listening, let us know and we'll give you a shout out too. But since I'm pretty sure the listening audience is uh, myself, since I download the podcast like three times on different players and Johnny, which probably, you know, and maybe my other brother or my sister. So listen to the podcast, subscribe if you haven't. Tell your friends to listen to uh, us. No, I'm just kidding. We, we don't really care. We, we appreciate if you're listening to this and you've gotten to this point. But if you want to share, share. If you don't want to share, don't share. Whatever. We just enjoy talking. Yeah. Hopefully, we just bring a little laughter and different perspective into life. So tonight, my energy was brought to you on the cheap. On the cheap. Tonight, I went with Crystal Light with Caffeine. Mm. Didn't didn't feel like drinking a dollar fifty can of Monster and two Pixie Sticks. Thank you, Willy Wonka. Nice. I was chewing on popcorn in case you couldn't tell, and drinking some water. And fueled by a Crystal Burger. Yes, we did have Crystal Burger, which, by the way, is kind of a new discovery for us, and it's quite delicious. Also, mini size, which is great for small children who don't eat their whole burger anyways. So that was awesome. So Crystal Burger, make sure you stop there as soon as you can. Yes, advertising for Crystal Burgers. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook. We're part of the Growler Media Network. Check out the other podcasts there. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night. Bye. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.